Hey everybody, it's another episode of the Juke Joint with me, your terrible pen drumming champion, Aaron. And What uh, I appreciated about that was that you said, let's not begin an episode with hey, and then immediately once you finished pen drumming, you went, hey! I guess, you know, it, it gets boring starting off an episode, like when I do it, like, I feel like I always start off with hey everybody, it's like I've heard so many podcasts do that, and I, I guess it's just habit for everybody. It's just more natural to be like, hey, what's going on when you're talking to a, an audience of unknowns, you know? So. Well, I mean, that's like the whole bit about the podcast is that it's conversational, right? Yeah. I guess you just and say, like, hey, Jacob, what's going on? But I'm not talking to just you in this case. No, we're talking to the to the person who rolled up on the sidewalk, yeah. crashed their moped into our table. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going on with you? How's your week been so far? It's been a very, very busy I've been trying to get a bunch of stuff taken care of mm-hmm. with both capstone things and other such things. I had to, yesterday, I spent four hours in a car dealership getting my O2 sensor fixed. Oh, that's always a fun thing to fix. Well, because what had happened is that where I live, there, I went to this mall mm-hmm. that's in this place called Westover. And the entrance to the mall has this like giant road-sized pothole that's like practically impossible to dodge. Is it the one at the light? Yeah. It's, oh, you are aware of this oh, one? Oh, yeah, because they never fix it. <laughs> they never fix it. It's reached the point now where it's like spreading multiple lanes oh, of God. traffic. And it is so deep and so wide. And one evening, I forgot it was there. And it wasn't illuminated by the streetlights, so I couldn't dodge it in time. And I'm 100% certain that it totally stripped my O2 sensor. <laughs> so or knocked then, it loose, at least. It did something, but it was like really bad. So then finally, A, they had to, the dealership had to order the O2 sensor anyway. Mm-hmm. Then I went over there to get it fixed, and I was there for four hours. <laughs> which which dealership did you go to? I went to the John Howard Nissan one on the Wild Ground. Oh, nice. There's like nothing so, to do there, too. You just sit and wait. Yep. Like, what are you going to do? Walk to the tropical pet store across the street? You can't go to Blue Parrot. Not that you would go there no. anyways, but it's it's well, burned down. It's burnt down. No more no Which, more strip dances for charity for anybody. <laughs> I loved that. What I loved about it was the whole cycle because I've lived long enough to see it be built and to see it collapse. I love I've I've heard so many things about that place. I never knew a single person that went to it. No. But it was just well, like the, the corniest f- thing to have existed. Well, the first controversy with that place is that they built it literally across from a church. Like, a a church was on the other side of the street, and then they built the Blue Parrot, and that was, like, making headlines oh, man. in our town. Like, strip club built across the street from church. Church outraged. <laughs> I wonder and why. Then, like, and then, like, years later, Blue Parrot burns down. Church rejoices. Church Join rejoices. us this Sunday. Join us this Sunday, where we send this building back to the depths of hell. <laughs> Again. Uh, yes. So I mean, <laughs> I it, it's been nice for me in my early twenties to see the whole rise and fall of that establishment. <laughs> so cool. Uh, so yeah. So you're wrapping up your semester. You got your. Uh, I'm curious about your capstone project since you, you we talked about that a good bit. How's the uh, how's the production on that coming along? The production on that has been coming along nicely. Uh, it's been a lot of filming. Yeah to get stuff done for this commercial. On Monday, I filmed some bits with a friend of mine, um, one of the people actually from the gaming weekend playthrough of SpongeBob Battle for Bikini Bottom. 
and uh, we've created this character. I'm styling the commercial. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my capstone project is I'm making a commercial for the uh, Starport Barcade that exists here in Morgantown, which is like an arcade and a pub at the same time. I'm styling it after those like 90s commercials that like Sega used to have for like the Genesis and things. Mm-hmm. So I had this guy, his name's Rob, and I had him play like that kind of skater bro character that would sell things to like, hey kids, you don't own a Sega Genesis, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Now, the fun bit for me was that I had to write out the script, but this character doesn't need a name. He has no character or personality. He exists as a shill to sell a, a arcade to people. Mm-hmm. But for my own benefit alone, I named him 90s Phil <laughs> in the script. So, it, like, 90s Phil is going to be popping up on the TV going, hey, kids. <laughs> why, why specifically Phil? Well, I don't know. It's the name that I was feeling at the time. And then what was funny is that then a couple of days later, I had to do a short write for a creative writing workshop. Mm-hmm. And they like showed me a picture, and they were like, okay, now choose two people in this picture and write a dialogue between them. So then I saw one guy who was like a skater person, so I named him Skater Phil. <laughs> so like, I just was in a Philip mood at that yeah, time. Yeah, I could I tell. Just naming a bunch of characters Phil. Oh, so that's happening. Nice. And then after we're done recording this, I'm going to be filming some more things for it. Okay. But uh, what about you? How how have things been with you? Oh, uh, they've been the same as usual. I'm super soaked this weekend because uh, I've been I've been on the hunt. Okay, long story short, this time of year up at the the national parks in the area, like Olympic and, and Mount Rainier and that sort of thing, which is super nice because I'm located like right in the middle of them. It's super cool. But getting to them this time of year is difficult because the weather is. Uh, it's not really the weather; it's just like the cold climate up with those high elevations. There's just snow everywhere, so the roads are closed, and like a lot of the areas of the park are closed. But you can get to some of them if you have tire chains. Well, tire chains are kind of expensive. I lucked out yesterday. I found some on Facebook for free. Some guy was just giving them away. So I've got a set of tire chains on my car now, and I'm like amped going up to Mount Rainier tomorrow, look at a volcano again. I don't know. Do you ever invest in uh, studded tires? You know, I used to my uh, when I had my Corolla. But see, mm-hmm. I haven't needed it in this car because I've got the, my current car, which is just a, a RAV4. It's uh. It's got all-season tires on it, which are good for most scenarios. Um, like when I lived in Thurman around there, like when they wouldn't plow those roads, you know, sometimes it would be kind of tough to navigate it, but it's also got four-wheel drive. So if I took it slow, I could, you know, beat a path through the snow and, and get to where I needed to go. So I haven't needed them for this car. Um, mm-hmm. But in order to go up on the mountains or out to Olympic or wherever it is I'm going, you know, not necessarily that I need them unless the snow is like that bad, but they require them anyway. So now I've got yes. something. And plus it... They might be the same result for a lot less money because then you gotta buy the tires and get them studded, which is money. Then you know every season getting them swapped out. And here I don't really need them because it doesn't really snow. So yeah, yeah. So but yeah, so, uh, so I think we're gonna do that this weekend. Uh, I was hoping to do some camping, but uh, other plans got in the way. So uh, uh. yeah, yeah. My girlfriend's working until like ten o'clock tonight. So Oof. yeah, she's well. It's a, it's like a special volunteer event dinner where she works at. So she's like you know helping run that so oh, okay yeah but uh but soon soon i'm hoping to go out and do some camping because it's finally warming up and uh a lot of places are starting to open back up so stoked there we go so you saw captain marvel recently right i did i saw captain marvel a few weeks ago yeah how did that, <clears throat> that turn out 
Well, let me put it this way. I went into Captain Marvel. It, at this point now, with the whole Marvel movie craze and all the masses of films that have come out over, like, over 10 years now, mm-hmm. it's gotten to a point where I'm becoming much more selective with the Marvel movies I see in theaters. Yeah. Like, I totally passed on Ant-Man and the Wasp. I had zero interest in seeing it, and I really don't think that me missing it is going to affect my appreciation of Endgame when it comes out next month. Mm-hmm. But I did want to see Captain Marvel because I didn't know about the character, and I thought, okay, well, maybe this will be fascinating. And because Marvel has had, in the past, a very, very bad reputation of spoiling their own movies in the trailers, Mm -hmm. I ignored all the hype. I didn't look at reviews. I didn't look at trailers. I didn't look at fan reactions. I completely ignored all talk about Captain Marvel the movie until going to see the film. Mm. And I'm glad I did. Because, and not because of anything with the film, but because then after I walked out of the film, I could get online and start looking at things and see that apparently this movie is controversial. Why is that? Uh, because Brie Larson, I guess, I don't know, said something to the effect that she didn't want white men watching the movie. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, or, or reviewing it or something like mm-hmm. that. It was like she went to this like women in film award thing mm-hmm. and got up on the stage and said, I don't want any white men reviewing these movies Mm -hmm. because they're not made for them, which is, like, that was a scenario where I looked at it and I went, well, I get what you're trying to say, but you're saying it very poorly. (laughs) So, So, apparently there was, like, this whole thing of people boycotting the movie, oh, she doesn't want, uh, like, white male people to see it. Oh, come on. Blah, 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 blah. So I completely ignored that and did not know about it in going into the movie. Yeah. So I went in not thinking it was some big political statement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad I did that because it helped me, I think, look at the movie objectively. Mm-hmm. Which, the best I can compare it to, honestly, is Wonder Woman, which came out a few years ago. Yeah. Because it is most definitely, in my mind, it is Marvel's answer to what DC did with Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And in a funny way, it's kind of the inverse of Wonder Woman, because where I think Wonder Woman had a strong opening act and a middle act and then a kind of weak ending, Mm -hmm. Captain Marvel had a slow, slow opening to acts, Mm -hmm. and then the ending was, like, really enjoyable. Yeah. So it was, like, the inverse of it. It It's like, um, she's, I mean, Captain Marvel as a character, I don't know, felt kind of flat. She spent the first, like, hour and a half basically running around literally searching for what her personality was and what her motivation was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It is essentially, you spend an hour and a half of the movie watching Cap- watching Brie Larson and an admittedly fantastic Samuel L. Jackson, who I don't think I've really seen turn in a, uh, turn in a bad performance. Mm-hmm. Um essentially running around looking for the plot of the movie Mm -hmm. because they don't know what the plot of the movie is. (laughs) And then it all gets dumped on you in a five-minute scene of exposition Interesting. that just comes out of the middle of the movie and just in five minutes, it's nothing but a plot dump of just, here's your motivation, here's your character, here's why you do the things you do. And then th- suddenly she is so self-assured and ready and kicking ass, and that's the like final 30 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. So on the whole, I would call it uneven and pretty unbalanced. Yeah. I 
didn't hate it. I think the final 30 minutes is worth it. But I also think that, and this is the probably only time I will say this, I do think that DC performed better mm-hmm. with Wonder Woman than Marvel did with Captain Marvel. Yeah. Because at least Wonder Woman suffered from a weak twist ending. Yeah. But you still had like the hour and a half worth of a movie to see Wonder Woman be the hero that she should be. Yeah. And, you know, doing the things that you would want to see in a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas Captain Marvel ran around and got real confused. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know, but maybe... <laughs> I, I don't want to be like, oh, but maybe I just didn't understand it because I'm a white male. So Oh, I mean, who knows? That could I be the case. <laughs> I, I mean, I think I went into this with a very balanced attitude and... That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. I I would give it like maybe a six out of ten, mm-hmm. probably. It's like a three star movie for me. Yeah. Do you think it plays? Like, how does it play into the into the universe as a whole? Is it more of a standalone film, or is it kind of playing into that whole? Like, it plays in line? that I guess. Well, it plays into the fact that it a functions as a prequel to Phase One mm-hmm. in some way. Okay. So like the first five movies of the MCU, it sort of is a prequel to. Mm-hmm. It establishes Nick Fury's character, and but its main function, honestly, it's it's another one of what I call the Marvel chess piece movies, mm-hmm. which is that it exists mainly to just catch the audience up on who Captain Marvel is, so then when she shows up in Endgame, people aren't going, who's that? Yeah. That's exactly why the movie exists. Mm, okay. So... Which, like, honestly, after Endgame, I'm f- probably thrown in the towel with Marvel. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know they'll carry it on, but, you know, I wonder They're to what extent. They're carrying it on, obviously. I mean, and and I have to give Marvel some credit. I mean, they, they're bringing back James Gunn for Guardians 3, mm-hmm. which, like, thank God they're doing that because, you know, whatever your outlook is on that whole issue... Um, the cast and crew were openly hostile to Disney removing him, mm-hmm. so even if they had carried on without him, the movie probably would not have been very good, <laughs> because you would have been dealing with a very, like, conflicted staff of people making the movie. Yeah. So, the fact that they're getting to work with the director they want to work with is, on the whole, a better sign for how that film will turn out. Mm-hmm. But, um... I don't know. I've, I just, I've, it's gotten to a point now where I'm no longer the teenager who was like, "Wow, they're making movies like they make comic books yeah. and they're cranking them out every year." Like when I was young, I thought that was really impressive, and now I'm like, "You've saturated the market with very mediocre movies." Yeah. That there's like way more forgettable Marvel movies than there are like instant classics. Yeah. So, I'm I'm kind of hoping they move, and not I guess not just the cinematic universe, but um, especially okay. So long story short, I've been on a Gravity Falls kick recently and watched that whole mm, series, which is that's a goodie. Yeah, uh, like that, and then you know Alex Hirsch, who wrote that show, also wrote for uh, Into the Spider Verse. Yes, he did. And I'm hoping that there's more of a push that direction to to start doing more animated com like not animated comics, but animated films that way, and kind of pushing that genre a bit and and, and evolving that because. Right now, it's like the biggest, you know, I guess, theme in, in films um, that I'm into are, are the superhero films. You know, I'm really, I, I like the cinematic universe because I, I think the stories are really, you know, big and flashy and engaging. But you get sick mm-hmm. of it at some point because I've been following it since, you know, 2008 when the first Iron Man came out. Yeah. And after 10 years, you know, I, I'm ready to move on to something different. So I'm kind of hoping the animation 
kind of takes hold on that because I've seen a lot of cool things with that recently. Well, I mean, if I was going to talk about that, I would say that I would like to see just animation as a whole make a comeback mm -hmm. rather than just um, it being superhero animated stuff. Yeah, definitely. Because I, you know, I really am getting just tired of the superhero trend mm -hmm. because, you know, you had to think of it in a larger perspective. You had Marvel who did it probably the most successfully, mm -hmm. but even then, like, we're pretty hit and miss, especially in the middle portions. Like, they put out more, like, forgettable movies than great ones, as I've already said. Mm -hmm. Then you had DC who stumbled into it and didn't really know what they were doing. And I still think they're still trying to find footing in there, but like it's 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 in an industry that's burning out, I feel. They're well, the, I think DC is at a disadvantage because they their cinematic universe was being run by Zack Snyder, who recently made headlines for being out of his freaking mind. <laughs> Did you see that? No, I didn't. The whole thing. Okay, so he he went on some I think he was talking to Entertainment Weekly. And he was telling all the comic book fans to wake the fuck up. <laughs> I think that was his actual words. What, what was his quote? Oh, yeah. He said, and this is actually something, I sent this to John Fox because he's talked about this on the Spider-Man playthrough that he really dislikes this. Mm -hmm. Zack Snyder wants you to wake the fuck up and accept that Batman kills people. That, and here is his actual quote. Okay, now this this quote I'm going to read verbatim, and we'll see if this sounds like a stable man. Yeah. <laughs> Once you've lost your virginity to this fucking movie, and then you come and say to me something about, like, my superhero wouldn't do that, I'm like, are you serious? I'm, like, down the fucking road on that. It's a cool point of view to be, like, my heroes are still innocent. My heroes didn't fucking lie to America. My heroes didn't embezzle money from their corporations. My heroes didn't commit any atrocities. That's cool, but you're living in a fucking dream world. <laughs> That's his quote. That's his quote. I see his point, honestly, but... Uh, I don't. I think that's insane. It's crazy for I think, sure, though. I think, what it, I think what that tells me is that, more than anything else, what he wanted to do was just keep making Watchmen again and again and again and again. <laughs> 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 Wake up, sheeple! <laughs> wonder if that Superman's man's, a menace! I wonder if that man's rather communist manifesto. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> But I don't know. I'm just like so split on the whole superhero thing now, especially because I feel like it's it's definitely now become the trend within the film industry, mm -hmm. and now it's like everyone's making their own superhero movie. Yeah. Which should we talk about uh, this recent news of um, of stuff from the film world? Oh yeah, okay, yeah, because because uh, I've been following this a little bit. I, for people who don't know, um, okay, so Disney bought Fox. If you don't know that, they bought pretty much all of 21st Century Fox and all of their uh, subsidiaries, uh, and then, with the exception of Fox. Well, yeah, News Fox because... News. I think Fox Sports and stuff are still separate. Is that right? Uh, I don't know about Fox Sports. I know for certain though that Fox News is still owned by Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, which it makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> but like. But with that, you know, there's the merger, then there's a layoffs, that sort of thing. But they shut down Fox 2000, which, um, and I can't remember off the top of my head what films they've put out with Fox 2000. They put out movies like Fault in Our Stars, Life of Pi, Devil Wears Prada. Oh, Diary of a Wimpy um, Kid, I think, right? Diary of a Wimpy yeah. Kid. Which, I mean, honestly, none of those would be like my favorite movies of all time. Hmm. 
But they definitely speak to the kind of movies that they were making. Well, arguably very successful films too, so. They were very successful anyway, but they weren't like big budget Hollywood blockbusters. They were more dramas. They were more tales of like, of, of like human beings, a lot of whom like don't often get a voice. Yeah. You know, like Fault in Our Stars is about kids with cancer, mm-hmm. you know? I wonder what I wonder what the motivation is behind shutting down Fox 2000. Are they merging it with something else and kind of No, I think they just shut it down because they didn't think that it was a worthy enough investment, I guess. I find it would be the only thing I could think of. Yeah. If I'm looking at uh yeah. It is really just surprising to me that um well, not surprising. Here's what it is. Like if I'm quote I'm going to quote a Vanity Fair article on this. It says uh uh, as Bob Iger, who is the CEO of Disney, remakes the Hollywood landscape by swallowing Fox in his massive $71.3 billion deal, there seems to be a collective fear that the sort of movies Fox 2000 trades in will wind up being the largest casualty. High-minded adaptations that now seem obvious in their success but were risks to get made. They're movies that feature no capes, no toys, and no amusement park tie-ins. Sometimes they land in the prestige category, but often they just become beloved, the kind of films you find yourself watching whenever they show up on cable. I can see why the attitude there is, well, let's shut it down, Mm -hmm. because they're not guaranteed hit makers. And if there's one thing that Bob Iger has been known for as his time as Disney CEO... It's smart investments. Yeah, I mean, there's that's, low that's risk. What he does. Well, I want to say low risk, but there's not a lot of risk in it. Well, I guess it means the same thing. But yeah, it's yeah, low risk investments and it's putting money in places where he knows that they can't fail. Exactly. So it's very much, which is why if you look at what Disney has been producing as a company themselves, mm-hmm. it's very very safe. We've seen the first like straight theater releases of Disney animated sequels. Yeah. With Wreck-It Ralph 2 last year and Frozen 2 on the way. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the first time a Disney animated film has had an in-theater sequel. You know, they had Michael Eisner before Bob Iger, who put him out on DVD and straight to video. Yeah. But now Bob, but now Bob Iger's like, no, we're straight up, we're going to put him in the theater. Mm-hmm. And then he'll do other investments like, okay, we're going to buy up Marvel and they're going to make their cinematic universe and that'll be the saturation of the superhero genre. Mm-hmm. We're going to remake all of our classic films in live action yeah, because then that's a smart investment too because people already love these movies. We don't need to sell them on it again. We just need to tell them, look, here it is now in a new flashy coat of paint. Exactly, yeah. Well, let's buy up the most popular sci-fi franchise of all time and crank out new movies every year. It is like straight up like what they've been doing. Their whole attitude has been let's make really big investments and cash in on already established love for franchises. Mm-hmm. And the risks then become far more minimal, but it also means that the creativity becomes much more lacking. Yeah. Because now it's no longer safe to put your trust in a filmmaker that hasn't been tested yet or in a story that people haven't heard of before, you know? Yeah, I wonder, because I noticed Disney's been doing that where they they don't really put a lot of money into not seemingly already things with a big name. So then you got companies like Netflix and then the the rise of of the indie creators recently with, you know, self-publishing on, like, Vimeo, YouTube, that sort of thing. I wonder how that industry is going to respond to that. Because, I mean... Well, say they you all, and I we already kind of know. 
We already kind of know because Spielberg hates it. Yeah. But then, yeah. you know, he's pushing, he's also pushing Apple TV, so. Well, but also Spielberg is like a representation of the old, which is ironic because he was a part of the vanguard of new Hollywood, but now he's part of the vanguard of old Hollywood, <laughs> which is franchise, franchise, franchise. I feel like this, this will also lead into a, another conversation we were talking about conversing about but uh, so say so say you and i are filmmakers and Mm -hmm. you know we're wanting to we're wanting to push our own indie flick out there i mean luckily you have the maybe some investment from netflix and other platforms like that but then if you if you have this what seems like companies like disney creating a monopoly of sorts i mean how do you how do you push into that market the problem is is that well now the tool is there the tools are there that really anyone could make a movie if they wanted Mm -hmm. to there have been movies that have been filmed on iPhones, mm-hmm. you know, and they're fine, fine films, but they're like zero budget. Mm-hmm. The problem does not really become with, well, the problem is both film financing, so getting the best tools available and the crew who know how to use it, mm-hmm. that becomes hard to finance. Yeah. But even bigger than that <clears throat> is distribution. And that is where we've seen the kind of resurgence of the old Hollywood system. Mm-hmm. Because now more than ever, it becomes incredibly difficult to distribute your film Mm -hmm. if you don't have major studio backing. So it's like one of those things like, yeah, you would have a 20th Century Fox or a Fox 2000 or a Fox, you know, indie searchlight kind of thing Mm -hmm. going on where they not only finance the film, but they do the big thing of having the name brand distribution. Mm -hmm. So the film theaters are more prepared to you know, buy the film to screen in their theater so that way then they can get the ticket sales in and thus keep the business alive. Yeah. That sort of doesn't happen as much with the renegades because the big studios now are too frightened to take on any investment that isn't a surefire guarantee. Mm And um, so the big thing now, if you and me were going to try to make a film, would be either crowdsourcing the financing, which is what a lot of people do now mm-hmm. through Indiegogo or Patreon or you know Kickstarter or whatever. You 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 know crowdsource the financing and then hope that you can get distribution maybe on YouTube, maybe on Vimeo, mm-hmm. and if you're really really talented, maybe Netflix or Hulu, yeah, or Amazon. You know, and then that becomes the thing too. So then the old Hollywood gets really, really mad about it. When that's why you see Spielberg like getting really angry when, you know, Roma gets nominated for all these film awards at the Academy Awards, and he goes, "Well, the Roma doesn't really qualify as a film because it didn't get broadcast in theaters." Yeah, but arguably, did yeah, it ever have that I chance agree. to be broadcast in theaters? It, didn't, it wouldn't have had a chance if if they had gone for the Hollywood system. That movie never would have been made. Yeah, I know. There's zero doubt about that. And that's what's become so, like, foreign to him, <laughs> is that, yeah, like, there's now, in the age of everything being a franchise or a remake or a sequel, and everything being well-established IPs that everyone already knows and has a connection to, mm-hmm. it's hard to get new ideas off the ground, man. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I the The Fox merger with Disney is something that a lot of people should be paying attention to, because, A... It's crazy. Well, you that, have one. You have you know, probably the biggest media company in the world right now buying up. Oh, yeah, one, definitely buying up. Arguably, one of the other biggest media companies in the world. Yeah, like it's. I it's mean, 
the fact that it happened, I'm surprised the trade was allowed to happen. But there's something I don't. I, I, I'm missing something obviously because it went through. But like, what's next? Like, where's the limit? Uh, I mean, the thing is that I think maybe it went through because there still is some forms of competition with like Universal mm-hmm. and Time Warner and all that sort of stuff. But it is worth paying attention to, especially because Disney's becoming pretty monopolistic. Mm-hmm. They have their hand in practically everything. Yeah. And what they do with that is very much worth looking into and paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Because it could have a pretty drastic effect on how things get treated. Yeah. In the entertainment industry and beyond. Yeah. Because you would be surprised where their hand reaches, you know? Well, I'm trying to think off the top of my head the companies they own, not 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 mentioning the ones we, we already mentioned, like Lucasfilms and... and and Pixar and well, all this. They own ABC, and, so they have one of the three major networks. Uh, ESPN. They own ESPN. Now Fox, most of Fox. Yeah. Um, they own... They turned Maker Studios into the Disney Digital Network. So there's like a whole group of YouTubers who are actually owned by Disney. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. No, oh, yes. That's interesting. So it, it would be probably crazy to think of how much stuff Disney actually owns. Yeah. They own Hollywood Records. I know that. Oh yeah, who's on? Who's on? Who's on Hollywood Records? Queen. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I mean, Freddie Mercury's a Disney prince princess. What I, I loved Hollywood. about it was that. Well, and I don't know. Disney if I said King. This in the last epi- what I I'm trying to remember if I said this in the last episode or not. But what I love about it is that Queen made the Bohemian Rhapsody biopic with Fox. Mm-hmm. But Hollywood Records is their record label, so Fox had to license the music out from Disney anyway, and then Disney bought up Fox. <laughs> With the so time, Disney, I wonder if they just realized, like, yeah, like we'll license it out, but we're you know the money's going to go back to the same pot anyway. So I think it was done like in that period of when the deal was being inked. So, huh. <laughs> but man, oh man. Uh, speaking of, uh, I know we were talking about this last week. I don't, we might talked about it after the show a bit last week, but we were reading the old film script I wrote in high school. Yeah, we talked about that after the show. Yeah, and then we started. It brought the conversation of just like Hollywood aspirations, which I'm curious. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because you and I having such a strong, at least seemingly strong, like backgrounds in, in filmmaking. Uh, as a hobby, like growing up in a sort well, of well, definitely thing. theater. We both have yeah, definitely combined theater experience, even if we weren't together at the same time. Yeah, I'm curious to know, like, ooh, we we could probably be on this for a long time. Actually, I wonder if we should save it because I could go well, deep how, into this conversation, and we're already about how long have we been? Uh, we've been about 25 minutes. I think we can. Well, then we can. We got the time. Yeah, okay, let's go. Let's do it. Okay, so my question to you, Jacob Whitmer. Yes. What got you into filmmaking? And what was kind of your process? Like, what were your goals for it as you were coming up? Well, here's the crazy thing of me. I've never considered myself a filmmaker. Okay. Ever. I consider myself a musician first. Mm-hmm. And then, the, like, a filmmaker as, like, a hobby. Yeah. Because the thing that attracted me to film, honestly, was, like, looking at, say, the Beatles' early movies and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. What got me into video making was the discovery of YouTube, which even then, I found YouTube because I kept looking up music videos Mm -hmm. and clips of movies. That's what I used it for for like the first two years of its development. Mm -hmm. At some point, I discovered James Rolfe, a.k.a. the Angry Video Game Nerd, who I consider the Elvis Presley of YouTube personalities. (laughs) Why is that? Because... 
Because so many people followed in his wake. I mean, like, the, the whole online criticism thing that people do now, really, whether or not they take influence from it, came in some form or another from what James Rolfe did with the AVGN. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did his first episode on a VHS tape in 2004, <laughs> before YouTube even existed. <laughs> you know? So it's like, he really kind of set the bar and then now we're in like two generations later and everyone that's come from that generation got influenced by them and then got influenced by the influenced people you know yeah so i mean what got me into video making honestly was that i just wanted to make a video like what uh james rolf did and what doug walker did with the nostalgia critic and all those sort of people Mm -hmm. and obviously then over the years it transmogrified into other stuff but uh it was really that, more than anything else, was just wanting to not be famous, but to make something that I thought was really good, and then maybe if it was successful, could get the attention of the people whose work I respect. Yeah. That was what, you know, enticed me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the same time, you know, when you're a kid, you also would, like, hang out with your friends, and you'd make up crazy stories, and you'd be, like, on the playgrounds just, like, acting out a bunch of stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's what I did with my friends, at least. Um, what about you? What were your influences? Uh, influences were, I can't think of specific influences cause I wasn't so much, I liked watching movies as a kid. Um, but I never really turned those into inspired things. Really what, really what sparked it was, um, really it was like, a, so when I was younger, a lot of people like my, my mom, for example, had this little film camera, like a little, mm. like, like took little, it wasn't VHS. It was like little tiny video cartridges. Mm. Um, and the thing was like the size of like a, a toaster, pretty much. It's like this big camcorder. You put the the the, the tape on one side. There's a screen, and then there's like this rotating handle screen on the other side. I don't know, or camera on the mm. other side. It was it, it's weird to explain, but basically she had that and do like would do home videos on that, people's weddings, birthdays, that sort of thing. Uh, my dad was kind of into photography for a bit because he he got this camera used somewhere and he was shooting. He shot you know a few rolls of film on that thing. Um, but then, you know, those things quit working and they got stored away for the longest time. And then as I got into, into middle school and high school, I started, you know, getting cameras as gifts and I would invest in like these little cheap camcorders and that sort of thing just to, to film on. And then what really, what, and this is, this is why I really like smartphone video, that sort of thing was the iPod nano in 2000, God, what year was it? Like eight, maybe 2009. It introduced the camera to it. And that was like revolutionary. I never had one, but I had a couple friends that had one. And that's when we started doing airsoft videos. And we would go out and we would film like, uh, we'd, we'd do like these little short, stupid videos. Uh, actually, the YouTube, oh, I got the YouTube channel pulled up right now. I never want to share it because honestly, they're just like, oh God, they're so You shared it with me. I think I did. It's so cringy to watch now. But anyways. Uh, <laughs> it would have been, well, the first uh, iPod Nano came out in like 05, I think. Yeah. But- it would have been later than that. Yeah, I think it was 08 or 09, whenever the one with the I'm camera came first out. One with the camera. Oh, the fifth generation one. That was 09. Yeah, okay, that sounds right. Uh, it's September 909. Nice, it's my birthday. That, oh. was the day, that was the day Beatles Rock Band came out, I think. Yes, it was. 909. That was also the day where their CD remasters came out. <laughs> it was a busy day for Beatles fans, such as myself. But we had that camera. I had a. Um, I eventually got a Sony Handycam, and we were doing videos on that for the longest time. But uh, but that kind of, you know, I was building up, uh, not a career, but, you know, doing a lot of films uh, in with that front. And we did a lot of short films, and there was one somewhere that was like, uh, 
Yeah, it's like an hour and 15 minute. Kind of like uh, the video made it with us in the band, uh, the like short documentary. Mm. Sort of that. It was like a collection of like airsoft clips and that sort of thing, but it totaled an hour and 15 minutes. It's like a full-length film, but just has absolutely no plot. It's just like a cl- I mean, bunch of clips. I mean, I've always wanted to make a film like that, yeah. one that was like improved by the actors. Yeah. And I mean, that is where sort of I go against the Hollywood system. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of what the kind of films that I've really, really liked and take inspiration from are not Hollywood darlings. No, you know. See, and I think that's a, I think that's what's inspired me to kind of move into wanting to do documentary work and that sort of thing now. Because I've for the longest time, like I've done the short clips and that sort of thing with the short films of acting and all that. But I've always loved taking a camera and just recording what's going on in a, in a situation or a scenario, and then you piece that together into a film. I find a lot of joy mm. in that because. I don't know. I like the stories are more real and they feel more raw. And I, I, I love that. Well, they're type. definitely more raw. Yeah. And they, by the very nature, they're real unless yeah. things get manipulated. Yeah. By the but that's director. why I love it so much. Is to, well, not, I wouldn't say necessarily is easier to make a film that way. It's definitely, you don't have to pay actors and all that jazz, but sometimes you have to find the story and whatever it is you're shooting. But I like that. I like the challenge of that. Oh yeah. So that's why I think that's, I think that's what's inspired me to, to do what I do now. But then back on, in high school, back on the script we were talking about a second ago. So oh, for me yes. to graduate, so, which I explained this to you, we uh, you know we had to do a senior project, capstone project, whatever you want to call it. Um, so everyone had to choose their own, and pe- some people were choosing like you know I'm gonna restore somebody restored a truck, which was insane. It's like a 17 <laughs> year old kid restoring this truck, which I think he still no he he drove it for the longest time, and then it finally broke down, but. Uh, uh, <laughs> but it was meaningful when he fixed it. It was it was crazy to me that the fact this kid who was like a year or two older than me, he took this junked truck, rebuilt them like everything, rebuilt it himself, rebuilt the motor and all this stuff, and it ran around for years, which was crazy. But you know, a lot of people did crazy projects. I wrote a film script. I think it totaled like fifty some pages. It was supposed to be like a feature length film that was like pretty much Cormac McCarthy's The Road. <laughs> Which I I mean like I I haven't read Cormac McCarthy but I have read your script yeah and boy it certainly is things happening yeah I, I will give myself credit for <laughs> for someone being seventeen working with a fourteen year old who was was Pat in this case writing a film Dude, script I need, I need to message at some point and be like so I've seen this <laughs> it's not it's not bad for a couple of teenagers but now that I read it no, I'm like not. this is just I mean there are so many problems with this thing. It's, uh, it's a. I'll say it's a little bit aimless. It is very aimless. It doesn't seem to. It doesn't really seem to be a coherent narrative yeah. to all the different things happening. I think it's like I think what it, I think, the vibe I get from it is that there's a general overview of what should be happening in every scene, <laughs> but it's so bland and everything feels so introduced and forced. It's very much like people just bumming around. Yeah, I like the plot. Still, but, in my mind, I like the plot and where it could go. Like, in, you know, to me, like, there's a lot of potential within it, but as it is, it's just absolute garbage. Oh, yeah. yeah. It needs it needs some rewriting. It's a nice TLC. <laughs> well, the one idea that I remember you pitched for a video, which I so wanted to do, and still kind of do, mm-hmm. was that there'd be an acoustic act that goes on stage. You know how many times I thought tells- about that? Especially yeah, recently. Like re- re-describe the idea for me, so that way I don't get it wrong. It was, <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily... It's not even necessarily that it's like a big, like mind-blowing idea. I just think it'd be really funny. But basically, like, this acoustic act goes up on stage. And I'm trying to remember exactly how it went. It was basically like this guy's trying to 
like do a sound check or something like that mm-hmm. and like nobody in the crowd like will shut up and like everyone's distracted and causing a bunch of noise and this guy just gets super pissed off <laughs> i think that was a gist of it but i can't remember all the details because it's been so long I thought what would have made it really clever is that he would go up on stage and like be telling everyone to be quiet so he could do a sound check, mm-hmm. and then he would get really angry and then walk off. Yeah. And then the camera would pan around and no one would be there. <laughs> <laughs> I think I that I, if we ever if next time I'm back out that way if we can if we can stop into like I guess we don't have to use one two three but like find a, a good venue. That could be a good and venue. a couple of people. <laughs> Then I think we could totally pull it off. Uh, yeah, it would be something that I would want to include. So I had I keep pitching a bunch of different ideas mm-hmm. that most of which will never get filmed. But like, I wanted to do one movie that would have been sort of the encapsulation of all my interests. Yeah. So film and music. Yeah. And it had the working title of What Is Rock. Mm-hmm. And what it was going to be, A, it was going to be a film I could have never released publicly because I would have been free base taking like a bunch of clips from other copyrighted things anyway. <laughs> but it was going to be like a combo of like documentary stuff and, you know, sketches and mm-hmm. a bunch of different weird film techniques to try to, you know, like provide, to be like a film version of an album, yeah. essentially. And that was going to, but not in like a sort of musical way, in a sort of combo of like different things. Yeah. A bit like, honestly, um, a big film that I think people should see as like sort of film study. And I can get why people will be like, why would you advertise this? It's not a good movie. But I think it's great. There was a movie that came out in 1968 called Head. Mm-hmm. It was directed by Bob Rafelson, written by Jack Nicholson. Yes, that Jack Nicholson. <laughs> and it was starring the monkeys. Really? Yes. Weird. It is plotless. It is a collection of different images and things mm-hmm. that seem to have no coherent narrative. <laughs> but yet, as an exercise in breaking every single film rule mm-hmm. and darkly satirizing what is expected of movies and of the main characters of the movie as well. Yeah. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> and it's it's truly something to witness. But that would have been the sort of kind of movie I would have wanted to make, which would have immediately pe- people would have been like, what is this garbage? But like, I just, I, I like the sort of avant-garde way of like combining different mixtures of things, mm-hmm. you know? I wonder... <laughs> Even though it, it probably been a lot better once we like we're living in the same place to do this, but because I've been I've been big into recently like you know kind of living out here by myself. I guess I have Julia, but you know be, you know she's not really big into filmmaking <laughs> if at all. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, like I, so I, okay, so I've been deep into like trying to do like solo filmmaking, documentary filming, documentary filmmaking, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Finding a way for you and I to collaborate on projects because I know we're both driven enough to create things. We would make something. Yeah. I can't guarantee it would be great. At first. But it would be something. At first. I think, but we'll get Yeah, there. I think you and I could actually, in time, create good content. I think we just need to find a way to work together with, with the distance. I think we're driven and we're mad enough that it could, like, really Sure as hell work. mad enough. Oh, yeah, definitely. You gotta be crazy sense. to do something like this, I feel. You gotta be crazy to do something <laughs> like this. <laughs> <laughs> the weirdest laugh. <laughs> But yeah, no, we should find a way to do that. Actually, 
there's going to be one day where we're going to actually make something and it's going to be like this really like groundbreaking project. <laughs> let's let's use that word. Let's use the word groundbreaking. groundbreaking. That would be cool. No one at some point to get to to create a film, even if it's a short film, we'll just have it screened in a theater somewhere. Oh yeah, definitely. I don't care if it's like two people in the audience. I think just seeing it on the big screen would be nice. Just to have it made, you know. Yeah would be impressive mm-hmm. that's why I like platforms Maybe. that's why I'm, I'm real I, and I've really been into YouTube since I got into it you know 10 12 years ago yeah. is that it gives you that flexibility to then I can make a film and put it out there and people can see it instead of having yeah. to rely on going to like the, the local theater and hoping they throw it up on the screen oh uh, yeah 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 and then you gotta make sure that you have it in a com- a form that's compatible with whatever technology yeah. they have yeah but it's just I don't know. I've, I've even just on that base level, the fact that like myself or anybody, and even nowadays, I could take my cell phone and do that. Like oh, then yeah, I had definitely. a Sony Handy Cam or like this little cheap forty dollar thing I bought at JC Penny online or something like that. <laughs> and then now I can take my cell phone, crank out this really cool short film. Like there's even there's a there's a film fest up in Seattle, and I wanted to take part mm. of it, but you know I just didn't have the time for it this year. Um, where people do short five minute films on their iPhone and. It's part of a film festival up there, and the, I remember they do for like a hot, for it. I remember for like a hot second, you and me actually were going to try to make a film. Which one was that? For, uh, it was like while well, we were both at U ninety two, and then there was this like film festival that went through the university, mm-hmm. and like I remember you and me went and to get the lowdown on it, and then we talked for a bit about like what we did or didn't want to do, and then nothing ever resulted from what it. a cool opportunity that was yeah you know ember i don't know why that i don't know why we fell through that year it might have been that might have been a busy year for me or i might just be lazy who knows probably was it lazy have, well i think well, i think <laughs> that might have been during your program director era that yeah that really because the last because so, i wanted to do it my senior year even though i was like busy with capstone that sort of thing but yeah. uh it just that was in the thick of u92 and like wrapping up my time there and that i mean i, I had no time to final. do that I remember that whole time when you were program director and I would come in and you were always upset. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Just, just always. I would say, how you doing? And you go, I'm like, I just, I, uh, I can't, like, uh. <laughs> I learned a lot about life okay. working that job, but my God, was that a rough job? Yeah. Especially when you're getting paid 40 bucks a week to do it. Yeah. I should have just quit. I should have not done it in the first place, honestly, but I think it was worth Oof. it. I'm glad I did do it. I, here's what I was funny to me is that a couple of days ago, I went to the library to talk to my friend John mm-hmm. and because he works there now. And the person working with him was another U92 alum wow. from like even further back than us. Wow. And he's like, I heard something about U92. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of was the martyr on that one. <laughs> It's like, oh, it was you? I'm like, well, it wasn't me. No, you just were in the thick of it. I just sort of, I don't know, was the match that accidentally lit the fuse, (laughs) I guess. Yeah, that was... uh, Mm. <laughs> that's all I can say about it. <laughs> that's all we can go Which say. I hate to say, because I'm sure... I mean, I know a lot of people had a lot of good experiences there, but... Uh, well, I mean, I did. Yeah. I had some good experiences, and I'm certain you probably did. Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially in the first half of the time I worked there, you know, there was a lot of cool opportunities that came out of that. And then on the back end... It just got negative. It got negative real fast. Yeah, especially it wasn't just like a particular person. It was the vibe of the entire place, you know. And and the reason it was stressful for me is, um, you know, I'm leading, not leading the state. You know, I'm, I'm like second in charge behind the general director mm-hmm. in this case. And 
when the people of the station, most of them don't like general director, I'm kind of the person having to mitigate that. And I was what, 2021 20, at the time. I don't know how to handle that sort of stuff. You know, like I was yeah. trying to figure it out on the fly and I'm trying to appease. I'm, I'm trying to talk to the general manager to appease the people, the 140 people below me and vice versa. And that's, that that shouldn't have been my job, no. And that would be that's well, what made it super stressful. Well, and then after you, right? It was the poor, yeah. I feel bad for that. I don't know if I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to mention him, but, but I feel like he's mad at me because I think he feels like I threw him into that situation. But you know, I mean, I told him as best as I could up front. But I mean, it it was just, mm. yeah. It was not. I, it's nobody's fault. Like, well, maybe, well, I don't know. I don't want to blame anybody, but. It's such a weird situation. Think, well, and by the by the time I was there and I was working under my program director, yeah. it was open warfare. Mm-hmm. You know, it was straight up open warfare and it became like I was sort of the admiral of that. If the program director was the general of one army and the, the general manager was the general of another army, I had to be the kind of admiral uh-huh. <laughs> like maintaining the fleet and doing everything I could to prevent full-scale <laughs> annihilation. <laughs> And I would have tried if I had gotten the chance to be general to try to broker some kind of peace agreement. But mm-hmm. I never got the chance. Yeah, they they discharged me instead, <laughs> which was unwise because then the army like started attacking without any commanding officers leading the charge. I will say I don't so, like the way the situation was handled. No, it was awesome. but and I was against it. But yeah, like the entire like the the entire way that the scenario was handled was just an absolute mess. But I think ultimately everyone's in a better place now. Like the whole thing's in a better place. I think so. I think everyone that works there now. I don't know because it seems like their social media is booming, and everyone who works there is like super happy with it. So I can't, I'm still technically an admin on the Facebook. Page. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, there's a whole new generation of kids there now compared to when I was there, and even though that was only oh yeah, compared to well, well, and that's what's crazy about it too is that like I still hang out with a lot of the people who I worked with at U92, mm-hmm. and really at this point, if we wanted to, we could probably go back because yeah, because you're all still thing, students. <laughs> we're all still students, and the thing was, U92 was not like unless you were a like a, a director. Mm-hmm. You weren't, like, hired. You were working on a volunteer program. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like any of us were getting money for being mm-hmm. there. We were just getting the credit that we worked there. Yeah. So if we wanted to, we could go back. And yet no one I know or that I'm friends with has done so. Yeah, I think it's better that way. Like, though. everyone le- – and it is better that yeah. way. But it is fascinating to me, like you say, oh, a new generation's there. That generation is our generation. <laughs> it's only – It's just that – a different group of people who weren't there before are there now. Yeah. That's what's insane about it is that it's the same exact generation as our generation. It's just the people who either didn't know or didn't care mm-hmm. who are there. And then they brought in a bunch of other people who didn't know or didn't care. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's what's crazy is that it's just like it's not even a new generation. It's a mirror generation. With just a completely different it's perspective. Like we're looking through the looking glass yeah. here, you know? Isn't that nuts? Uh. I don't know. Well, I'm glad. You know, I feel like <laughs> I'm like seeing. We talk about this every off, every every so often. Ultimately, we do. I'm just glad that I, I think where things are at right now is is where they should be. Yes, except I need to go over there and help you film movies. Yeah, and you need to help me film movies. I can fly back. I'm looking at flights. They're not that expensive. It's just finding the money and the time for it. Yeah, exactly. So, 
which is everything more, in life. It, it makes more sense for me to go over there, I feel. There's probably more options. There's so many better places to film out here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, you have... I mean, here you have at least the Appalachian kind of locale. Mm-hmm. And you can get but, sort of urban if you go to, like... Maybe Morgantown has a little bit of an urban thing, but if you want to go to, like, Huntington for, like, a city vibe or something like that... Well, I mean, straight up Pittsburgh. Or Pittsburgh, too, yeah. But out here, I, I mean, mean... They filmed... They, like, they filmed the third Batman movie there. I would say Pittsburgh is, like viable option definitely but then you come out here and like you name the landscape it's within like a two or three hour drive of here oh yeah you want urban you want like desert subalpine coastal like it's here you you really got desert out there western or sorry eastern washington is pretty much it's not it's dry i mean it's it's not desert but it's dry it's just like dry grasslands and it's there's a lot of desert like features out there it's it's crazy Oof. Ran over a uh, tumbleweed on, at one point coming through there. So. Oh, nice. So it's uh, it's that dry. Uh, hmm, impressive. Yeah, I mean, you got the volcanoes and that sort of thing. Um, just mountain ranges, grasslands. I mean, it's everything. Everything's out here. It's nice. Mm. The whole West Coast is like that, too. So, Yeah, I mean, I trust... I don't trust L.A., but I trust the rest of the West Coast. <laughs> if I was going to actually move to California, I'd probably go to San Fran. Because they're like the cousin of LA. Yeah, I mean, it's, they're more expensive, but like, yeah, I, I get that vibe. Yeah, if, like if you want to move out west for any reason, like, like Los Angeles is like a like the biggest, the second biggest city in America, I think. Mm. But like, there's so uh, to me, there's so many other places that are just as good and cheaper and probably more accessible. Like, yeah. try to live in LA or San Francisco is, is bad enough, even though I think it's a lot nicer. But like, try to find a place to live in Los Angeles or anywhere in California that's like within a reasonable budget. You can't. <laughs> well, and I just find it all so, I don't know. I, I don't trust the people there. I just don't trust it. There's so many business people, there's so many would be agents and would be managers and would be lawyers. I think a lot of people. And everyone's fighting for dominance. One thing I've noticed especially up in, in this part of the country where I'm at is there's a lot of California expats where I think or people move to California or they're from California and they, and like they want that, they want that kind of lifestyle, but it's become like a, a hub for people to migrate to from all over the world. So therefore, yeah. you know, you lose some of that in that process. You get, of you course. get a lot of people coming there to be the, the actors and the, the, the businessmen and that sort of thing. You have to cut. You mean people want to get away from that? I, I mean, I want. Yeah, I would, I want to get away from that. I've never been involved in it. So. <laughs> we'll come up. I'll go over there, and then we'll create a new kind of film industry. Yeah, there's a there is a film institute. I found this out the other, the other day. There's a film institute and a, a yearly film festival in Seattle. Mm. Like straight up, is there just a film program? I feel like uh, to not to bring up the obvious place as well, but I think Portland probably has some stuff as well. Yeah, I mean, like, like I, I said, there's a lot of places on the West Coast like that. Vancouver is also very big with with that sort of uh, with that sort of uh, industry, mm. and they're all like within a six seven hour drive of each other. Yes. Well, what do you think about all this? Well, after all this, what is there left to say? I could keep talking to you about films all day and like filmmaking. I know. Do that. I guess the thing would be to say like, well, what are the big projects you would like to do? Big projects I'd like to do. Jeez. I want to, um, I have an idea to do like a series of documentaries. Um, mm. I've actually got a lot of plans for, uh, like media content coming up here in the next, you know, this year, especially the next like nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which I don't want to, I'll talk about with you after this because it's still a work in progress. I don't want to like say oh, anything, course. but um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. A lot, don't want to spoil it. But so basically, yeah, I got a lot, of, I got a lot of ideas to do content that sort of falls in the documentary realm, but it's basically just um, that more raw storytelling with, uh, you know, finding any sort of subject and then uh, kind of diving deep into something that makes them unique mm. and something, you know, you know, that sort of thing. So. Um, yes. To keep it extremely broad and vague. <laughs> oh, of course. But I'll, I'll tell you off the record here. But oh yes. Yeah. I don't know what, what what's uh, what's on your plate, especially because you're, you're have, graduating. You're going through that big life transition, which is a big oh, thing. God, God, don't remind me of that. <laughs> um, I have a trilogy of script ideas mm-hmm. that I would like to embark upon at some point. I'm not going to say what they are, but I do have a trilogy, and it's not like they're not connected. It's just I have three script ideas that I've wanted to do for a while, and I would like to do them at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have, independent of those, I've had an idea that I've been rattling around for ages, and I've made multiple attempts at trying to pull it off, and it's something that I would probably need a team of people to do. Mm -hmm. But I would like at some point to go through my archive of film. Mm Mm-hmm dating back at least to 2013. Yeah. And just collect... Actually, maybe in some cases 2012. But just to go through the archive of everything and put it into a film collage. Mm -hmm. So there'd be like clips of, you know, U92, clips of The Lazy Players, clips of fan fiction drinking games. Mm -hmm. And all of it, they wouldn't be things from the videos. They would be like all the bits that we filmed like on the side or behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And they would be juxtaposed against each other so you would see this like melange of what is in essence the creative process Mm -hmm. and how it changes and evolves over the course of like maybe 10 or 15 years. Mm -hmm. Because I have all of that documented. Yeah. And I would I would think it'd be interesting to like do it as a sort of melange of things. Mm-hmm. But that is a very, very time-consuming process. Yeah. Because, you know, especially with the FFDG stuff, because that was a three-camera show. Yeah. And, you know, and by the last year, by the mythical last year, almost every episode was an hour, and there's 26 episodes. Mm-hmm. And you multiply that by three, you're dealing with almost like sixty hours worth of footage to like scrub over mm. and like watch, and more than that as well. So it's like that's something I could not do, Osilomia, but it's something that I would think would be really fascinating to see how a creative person's artistic process changes and evolves through the use of their own archival material, mm. especially how they, you know, especially at this point because. Even though you've only, I mean, even though you've been at it for this long, you're still only what tw- this young, yeah. I mean, embryonic stage. It's still such a young, like, it's still so early in the potential process to see the evolution through that. That'd be oh, cool. Yes, of course. So that would be the big. That's the one big idea that I'll spread mm-hmm. right now. The rest of it is all secret. Yeah, and to be used when I finally have the money and the resources and the notoriety to actually get it done. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I believe it's time now probably for recommendations, isn't it? I think so, even though I don't have any. Mm. Oh. I can think of something real quick, though. What do you got? What do I got? Well, I originally had something that I was going to recommend, but I'll save it for next week. Instead, I will make a reference to a Jezebel article that came out earlier this week (laughs) and talk about Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morrison. Really? Uh Uh-huh. So this made the rounds on Twitter for a day. 
which was someone on Jezebel.com wrote an article, and I looked into it. It was a woman, because <laughs> I need to make sure it was real. Uh, they wrote an article basically saying Jagged Little Pill is awful. <laughs> it's a bad album. It only worked when I was young because I was young and angsty, and now as an adult I can look back and realize that it's a really cringy bad album. And boy, did people slam that article to the wall. Really? I think Hal- I think Halsey even like posted it on her Twitter and went, "Okay, I'm leaving the internet now." Why? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Okay." So, uh, pe- struck a nerve here by saying that Jack Little Pill was a bad album. <laughs> so let me instead look at it again. I re-listened to it today, and uh, it's it's one of my personal favorite records. Yeah. Of definitely one of the top three of the records I grew up with. Mm-hmm. I will say this: I don't think it's flawless. I think there's a lot of programmed drums. Mm-hmm. I think the production sometimes is a bit too slick. I think sometimes Alanis Morissette's vocals are pitchy, mm-hmm. and sometimes the lyrics are a bit too blunt, mm-hmm. and probably should have been thought over a bit more. That said, it would be insane of me not to say how hugely influential it mm-hmm. is and how much it still does stand up for the most part and how much it's given a voice to so many, you know, like young kids and teens and even young adults who feel like pressured into societal expectation. Mm-hmm. And just as a collection of songs and songwriting, I think it holds up. It's pretty solid. Mm-hmm. So. For all of you who want some perspective uh, on things in life, I would say probably listen to Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. <laughs> nice one. I don't think it's that bad. <laughs> so, at least not as bad as that one writer on Jezebel.com thought. <laughs> all right, so my my recommendation this week, and that's just because I just wrapped it up last night, and I've already mentioned it once during the show, was Gravity Falls, the whole series. It's only two seasons, 40 episodes. It's beautiful. It is. It's a great show. Even though it's a Disney Channel show, don't let that don't let that deter you because it is. It was only Disney Channel for the first season. Disney, Disney, Disney XD, XD took yeah. It. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just such good good story writing within that within that series. The characters are amazing. The 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 general like the the development of the characters and the whole and the plot itself is just oh, it's so good. It's I would say it's better than a lot of Disney products today. Yeah. And speaks to the talent of Alex Hirsch that he was able to craft. Oh yeah, so brilliant. Yeah, which I'm waiting to see what he puts out next because he's 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 working on something for Netflix. So yeah, I've been I've been following him on Twitter for a couple of years now, yeah. and it has been fascinating to see how like because he ended that show. He could have got let that go on for a lot longer. That, sh- that yeah, that show could go on for ten plus seasons probably. Yeah, because he had, I mean, like, the kids were being played by adults anyway, yeah. so it wasn't like you were going to have to worry about changing out cast members, uh-huh. you know, and it was a scenario where no one I thought really was against the show, or, like, it wasn't like people going, oh, it's burning out. It was doing very, very successful for a very, very long time, mm-hmm. and he had the dignity and self-respect to say, I wanted to tell the story, the story was only supposed to go this long, mm-hmm. it's going this long, and this is where I ended, mm-hmm. you know? That's very admirable. Yeah. And not something you see often in the television industry. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's been fat. I really am looking forward to what he does next. I know he's best friends with like Justin Roiland, I think. Yeah, who was in the show a good bit, which I find funny. He was in the show too, as a time traveler. Yeah. Which, <laughs> which, and he's very on character too, which is great. He also did a like commercial for like 
a carrier for pigs. So there was that one. There was the owl trowel, which, <laughs> which the one set out to me. It's like, do you have a bunch of owls in your driveway? Well, then you need owl trowel. Trowel. <laughs> it's ridiculous. He, he's essentially doing. He's essentially doing interdimensional cable exactly. on another person show. Yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing. Yeah. So. I can get behind that. Gravity Falls all the way. That's a double recommendation. Boom. Double recommendation. You better watch You're it. You're not going to get that on any other show, I think. Unless we both have seen or heard the thing that the other person is talking about, <laughs> which surprisingly is rare on this show. <laughs> all right. But, let's wrap it up here. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us this week on the Juke Joint. Uh, my name is Aaron. That is Jacob. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, leave us a rating, do all that fun jazz, and we will see you again next round. Bye-bye. Adios.